don't know about you, but I got a lot of deja vu watching this movie. Deja vu? Why? Because this movie basically starts the exact same way as Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> oh, you're right. It, it does have a very similar uh, people going out for a date at the point kind of feel to it, doesn't it? Weird love triangle with a police officer and a, an old lover, a new lover. Spaceship or something crashing onto the earth. Kids go investigate. It was like the exact same fucking movie. Shit. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a very good connection. And I wonder if I'm going to hate this just as much as I did Killer Clowns. Oh, come on now. Oh, Killer Clowns disappointed me so much. I was thinking about it the other day. Okay. And and I'm just, I wish I had have rated it worse than I did, I feel. Because I am so grumpy <laughs> about how that didn't live up to my expectations. Well, don't let that affect your rating for this. Another similarity I noticed is that this plays into my theory that I broached with you during killer clowns which is that there are no 80s pervs there's just yeah <laughs> i don't i don't agree with that theory there are definitely pervs in the 80s disagree completely yeah well not every single person in the 80s was a perv no but every like 80s movie that we've seen college age kids teenagers they're just out there just trying to get some and that's true of our main characters in this too <laughs> or are they the main characters i don't even know there's, uh, this movie's all over the place you make it sound like this is a sort of uh I don't know, like Animal House or American Pie kind of movie. You don't get those vibes in there a little I bit? I mean, it could have went that direction. It's definitely not focused on that. No, it's not. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And we are discussing Night of the Creeps, which is a 80s horror sci-fi kind of movie. Yeah. It's hard to define it as a genre because it definitely takes pieces of both. It's not particularly scary, so horror is kind of a challenge, but it it kind of fits in there with some of the themes that we see. There were some jump scares. That's true. They did try to work in some some jump scares. You're right. No, but you're right. It's not exactly... Like, at no point was I personally scared in the watching of this movie. Yeah, I was never scared. But uh, that doesn't mean I didn't have fun. Well, there you go. And that's kind of the whole point. So uh, we, as always, are going to talk about the movie. We'll talk about all the things we liked, all the things that were ridiculous. And, uh, you know, we're also going to enjoy some beer while we do it. And what are we drinking today? We have a beer called Thrillsner. I know you're really excited about this one. This is from a brewery close to us called Grain and Grit, and it's a dry hop pilsner. Oh, two weeks in a row. <laughs> Let me tell you, after all the IPAs and stuff from the first half of this season, just to be able to do two in a row that are pilsners, I am just on cloud nine. Yeah. We together both find the beers for the movies, but you for sure try to find those ones that you know are going to fit into your uh, <laughs> beer wheelhouse. That's okay. I think slowly we'll convert you to an IPA man eventually. It's going to oh, happen. Oh, never going to happen. It's going to happen. Never going to uh, happen. Granite Grid is a really cool place. Uh, we can talk about it a little bit later, but they opened up in an old muffler shop. Minute Muffler, it was, uh, I think it was called. And uh, they have the big door that opens up still, and they created a really neat space for people. That's cool, man. And I've personally had this beer before, and I'm looking forward to enjoying it right now. What do you say we crack it open and get into this? Yeah, let's get into it. We start with the opening credits. We have some ominous synth sounds. And the title kind of slowly comes into focus. The letters are kind of moving across the screen, but it isn't until they separate from each other that we see Night of the Creeps. Really fucking slow. Like, this is the time when you, you get, like, every single person who worked on the movie. It felt like a solid seven minutes of intro as those letters were coming apart. And then it pops us into a sewer? Yes. We fade into... It, it looked kind of like a sewer. I knew you were asking about that. It's actually an alien spaceship. And we have two aliens chasing a third one. And my God, these aliens. <laughs> they're, they're, they're terrible. I started out with a really good chuckle at this. They're fucking creepy babies. Yeah. They're literally yeah. the aliens look like wrinkly babies that are like full grown human size. Uh, yeah. One of them is running down the sewer slash spaceship with what looks like some kind of container holding something. Yeah, the other two are shooting at it, trying to catch it, kill it, I guess, so that whatever is in this container is going to get off the ship. They actually say at one point, via subtitles, which is just also hilarious, <laughs> that uh, the experiment must not be allowed to leave the spaceship. What I loved about the subtitles when the aliens were talking is that it was both in English and in the alien language. <laughs> just right. for, as, if, <laughs> as if some aliens were watching this movie. Yeah, maybe there was a deaf alien who was watching the movie who needed to see what was happening here and so they put those titles in for them i appreciated that it's incredible uh luckily or unluckily i guess for earth the alien who is carrying this experiment manages to launch it out of the spaceship and we see it kind of spinning through space yeah 
I, there, I had a lot of intrigue at this point. They had me stuck in here. I wanted to know why this uh, one baby weird alien thing was trying to shoot it out of the spaceship uh, away from the others. Were you also wondering why aliens were even in this movie? Because the first time I saw it, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> the box has no indication. Like, it appears to be a zombie movie set in, like, a sorority house. When I first started watching this and, like, these aliens showed up, I was like, did I put the wrong fucking disc in? Like, so what are we doing? I had never seen the cover, so I didn't know what to expect. So once this popped in here, I was like, okay, we're getting a sci-fi movie. And it, it even zooms out from it and shows a ship not too different from sort of the ships from Star Wars. I was like, okay, well, the Night of the Creeps is going to be a science fiction movie. But that's literally the last we see of the spacecraft, of the aliens. There is no mention of them at all. No, I know. And uh, I kind of wish there was a little more. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of, if nothing else, it's an interesting beginning. The fact that we kind of back away from it makes this movie all the stranger. But when that thing flies out of the spaceship, eventually crashing to Earth, we get a little title card telling us it's Sorority Row in the year 1959. We see a clean-cut white boy with a Johnny Unitas haircut. He pulls up to a sorority house, turns off an all-points radio bulletin that might have been important. <laughs> yeah, I think we heard on there that there was a nutcase on the loose. Well, we certainly hear it later on the radio for sure. Uh, in the meantime, he's there to pick up his date. He takes her to a place to park. And a police officer walks up to the car, tells them they need to go home. And that's when the girl turns and they kind of make eye contact. And we see there's a pre-existing relationship here. And this is what I wrote down. Like, it's the Debbie Dave, Mike Tobacco, Killer Clowns thing, man, right? Yeah, like, this it's guy... coming back. And it, it does have similar motivations. The more that you sort of talk about it, the more we see this, they kind of dismiss him or ignore him. But we, we learned throughout the movie that the woman in the car and the police officer were high school sweethearts. Yes, they were. Before they can head home a meteor or something shoots over the car and smashes into the earth. And just like in Killer Clowns, the kids go to investigate. Yeah, Johnny Unitas could not let that go. He needed Absolutely to go not. figure out what it is. The guy goes to investigate. When they get to the crash site, he tells the girl to stay in the car. Now on the radio, she's listening to some music. The APB comes back on, mentions again, there's a madman on the loose who's carrying around an ax. And sure enough, in very short order, we get the shot of someone walking up to the car, that kind of reverse shot from behind them. It's the maniac. While Johnny Unitas is in the... Whose name is actually Johnny in the movie. <laughs> it's Johnny, which is hilarious. He's out there investigating in the woods for this uh, sort of experiment that's fallen off the uh, alien spaceship or got shot out. Yeah, it's some kind of a tube. Inside, something's moving around, and it bursts out. It is like a slug that comes flying towards him and into his mouth, which is going to be a recurring thing throughout this movie. Yeah, I guess at this point I interpreted that he was now sort of under the control of the slugs, and that was what was going to happen. Yep, back at the car, the axe murderer just kills that girl. And from there, we cut to Pledge Week, 1986. We've jumped 27 years into the future. Get excited. We're in the 80s where we were hoping to be. At least I was hoping to be. <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess. While we were back in that 50s, I was kind of like, I was going to use the word reminiscing, but I never lived in the 50s. But sometimes <laughs> sometimes I feel like it would have been nice to go back to that simpler kind of time where like the music was simple, the cars were simple, and sort of the expectations were different. The people were simple. Yeah, and I mean, and then I was like, that would only be good if I continued to be a like white man. Because yeah. for really everyone else, yeah. not so good. So Well, every character we saw in that flashback was a white person. So. Yeah, well, even women, right, at that yeah. time, like not very much uh, equality. This is going to be a terrible segue, but uh, when we get back to the 80s, <laughs> we meet a couple of bitching guys on the prowl. <laughs> well, the, I, feel, the I feel bad about this transition. They, they describe themselves as bitching guys, which yes. is amazing. That's not me saying that. No, no, that's the actual words they use, and it is pretty hilarious. Walking down the street, yep. looking, looking out. They're for, looking, uh, what are they looking for? Uh, for ladies, yeah. No 80s pervs. <laughs> there are no 80s pervs, guys. Oh, boy. It's Chris and JC. Now, JC has some sort of physical disability. He's on, like, walking crutches. Um, Chris is... We get the impression they're both nerds. Chris spots a lady, speaking of looking for ladies. She catches his eye. We can tell this because of the extremely romantic music. They are <laughs> just coming right over the yeah, top with it. they're pouring it in there. Now, he's very shy, but JC just shouts himself out at her. We find out that JC is, like, he's the comic relief. He's got the comedic personality. Chris is going to be the straight man throughout this movie. JC gets her attention. Chris is too shy to say anything. And then from there, she goes into the frat house. It's the beta house. They got a bad reputation. Yeah. So growing up in Canada, we don't really have fraternities in the same way. So we, we never really experienced any of this sort of stuff. And they're sort of the, it seemed like the stereotypical chauvinistic male kind of group of gentlemen. 
Yeah, and sure enough, when they follow her into the house to kind of pursue her, they see that she's with someone who is like just your stereotypical football player. And in fact, JC says, The guy's a bozo. He's the missing link. Chris, the man has one continuous eyebrow. And I was like, oh, it's an exaggeration, but they show up and he actually does have like, just have, like one straight up unibrow. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Uh, I actually like a lot of the dialogue that was written for JC. <laughs> what? Really? For the JC character and the Chris character. Like <laughs> I had a good chuckle. I felt like it's something that we would have written at the same time in our life. So you're saying this is the kind of script that it's like a high school caliber <laughs> script, essentially. <laughs> that this we would have made. Being yeah. written by yeah. like 17 or 18 year olds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, okay. That's how we would have I don't know if that's praise or not to the screenwriter for this. <laughs> JC heads over to the guy, tells him that there's a phone call for him. And then as soon as the guy walks off, he directs the girl's attention towards Chris. And at least in the course of this exchange, he finds out her name. Her name is Cindy. So Chris thinks he's in love, but in his mind, the only way to get a girl like that is to join a frat. Apparently, this had a lot of currency in universities in the 80s. I mean, it definitely does in movies. Oh, for sure. So he and JC want to pledge right then and there. And they meet the extremely Aryan leader of this fraternity. His name is Brad, a.k.a. The Bradster. And my God, if you ask a team of scientists to genetically engineer an 80s teen movie villain, this is your guy. Yeah, he's a straight asshole. They've written it as like direct as you can. What you would expect to be a self-centered, chauvinistic... Say it. Um, he's a douchebag. He's a huge douchebag. douchebag. Yeah. He's there, and they do a decent job of making you hate him very quickly. Oh, very quickly. He says that if you want to get in, he's going to give them a test they have to pass. But as soon as they leave to do it, he assures some of the other Fred brothers that they're not letting them in anyway. So this is just, they're just fucking with him. And of course, it turns out he's the one dating Cindy because it's got to all line up like that. Yeah, so now Chris, our, our meek gentleman, wants the sort of love interest. And uh, we know that she's now dating the Bradster. The, the giant cancer. douche of this movie. Yep. So the test they have to pass is they need to break into a lab on campus and steal a corpse. Yeah. So I think they were tasked with finding a corpse and dropping it off on the steps of a rival fraternity house. I don't think the the brothers of the Beta House cared where they got the corpse from, but they, they happen to think, well, we're on a university campus. We know that corpses are probably used for research or study here. Sure. Cadaver. Absolutely. Let's go find one. And they managed to get into the lab thanks to some extremely good luck with the keypad. <laughs> what? Yeah. A scientist goes up and tries to enter the numbers, but forgets all but the last one which happens to be zero, which is the one that JC presses to conveniently get them in. Yeah, I'd say JC's got great luck, but, you know. Later, not so much, but that's okay. Uh, they get into this lab, and it is spectacular. It is just the stereotypical, like, the old Star Trek show, the Batcave, like just blinking lights yeah. on things that have really no Really large machines with all kinds of blinking lights that make no sense. The one thing that we do kind of know or does kind of be clear to us is there is a tube um that looks like it has an individual in it who is frozen yeah and it's the guy from the beginning of this movie yeah it's johnny unitas johnny unitas is yeah. frozen in that tube now which, this must have been early in the technology and science of like cryostasis because jc basically explains how it works and he's speaking about it in like very kind of like theoretical terms yeah i don't know when they started trying to do this with humans um, I know that they do do this. Like, you can pay for that service, right? What is this university where they have, like, one of the first cryostasis things ever? And why is he frozen? Why did they so cryogenically that frozen? is the most problematic part for me, is I don't understand why they froze his body. Like, they don't ever explain in the movie his girlfriend or the girl he was on that date with who got axe murdered. Brutally murdered. They didn't do anything for her, right? They just buried her. Well, we find out later that there's pieces of her all over the place. So, so you, maybe you, maybe you couldn't the... freeze her and bring her back to life. I just wonder why they froze Johnny Unitas. Like, I wonder also. About him? Yeah. They, did, they didn't talk about that. They also didn't talk about whether anyone found that alien container. I guess not is the I, answer to that question. Like, like, I don't know. But yeah, they didn't do a very good job of searching <laughs> that forest then after that. These things are inconsequential to yeah, getting this okay. movie started. Perhaps the screenwriters, the 17, 18-year-old screenwriters that you're giving the credit to, did yeah. not uh, feel no, they the need didn't. to flesh these details out. They're like, out. whatever. They're just going to go over it. So they get him out of the tube, and once he thaws out a little bit, he moves suddenly, which causes Chris and JC to freak out, and they run away. The scientist who was trying to get into the lab comes back, finds the body just like laying uh, on the ground, wearing some flesh-colored underwear, because apparently <laughs> they, they needed to freeze him so they wouldn't show his dog when they thought him out. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's protecting his genitals, hoping they're going to work later. I don't know. Why what? did it need to be flesh-colored? I, I don't know. <laughs> Come on, man. This is ridiculous. Isn't that what all underwear were like in the 50s? 
No. No, come on. Tidy whities We're like the, I would have to assume that's what everyone's wearing. Like literally everyone. All right. I don't know. I'm sure. I can say with confidence. This is not going to be a Cooper was wrong about whatever. There We're not, not getting a Cooper was wrong about the underwear about, of the 50s. <laughs> not about flesh color. I, I, I feel like we need to look some of this up. Maybe. <laughs> um, the scientist is checking out the body. All of a sudden, a hand comes up and grabs his neck. Back at the dorm room, Chris is mad at JC and JC is mad at Chris. JC tells Chris, I'm working hard to try and get him laid, him being Chris, of course, because JC thinks no one's going to sleep with him. But Chris is just too mopey. Yeah, that sad sack just won't sort of take that extra step of going through and talking to girls or doing what he needs to do to lock it down. And his friend JC is angry because JC doesn't feel like he has that same chance. And he's willing to do whatever to help his friend, even get in trouble with the law. Yeah, and Chris is just blowing it. From there, we cut to just like a bizarre dream sequence that you were very confused about. Yeah, at first. I I paired it together afterwards, but the problem with the dream sequence was it sort of changes like places and almost times or intertwines times. So it starts out on a beach and you've got an older gentleman in a tux. 80s horror legend Tom Atkins. Yeah, and he gets the and Tom Atkins at the start of this this movie, which is kind of nice. All white suit. All white suit. He's got the mustache, the sunglasses on, and he's sitting there. I think he's smoking a cigarette on the beach. And all of a sudden, a woman starts to appear out of the water. And it's the girl from the beginning of this movie. The one yeah. who was brutally axe murdered. The one that he was in love with, right? His high school sweetheart. And uh, I, I was having trouble connecting that until we transition to the next scene. Yeah, it, we all of a sudden, he stands up as if to go see her. And then when he stands up, he's in a police officer's uniform. And we're back in that footage from the beginning of the movie in the 1950s. He finds this axe murderer just hacking this girl up. The murderer turns around and it is a corpse. And as soon as the murderer turns around, you see the corpse. Tom Atkins bolts awake in his chair. This phone is ringing. He answers the phone and he uses... His catchphrase, which is the reason why we're drinking this beer, (laughs) thrill me, he says when he answers the phone. Yeah, he throws that in there a few times throughout here. And it definitely makes sense that you chose this beer for that reason. Definitely. We find out that he is a detective now, and the phone call is about that lab break-in. So he arrives on the scene, but he's a little uh, confused because there's supposed to be two bodies, and there's only one there. Yeah, he gets there. He's throwing out some very stereotypical cop kind of conversation and language. He's shitting on all the people underneath him <laughs> for how poorly they handled the scene. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of angry that there's only one body there. The grad student scientist is clearly dead. Uh, in between scathing sarcasm, he threatens one of the officers there that if he can't give him some answers, he's going to play poo patrol with his nightstick. Yeah, he threatened to yeah. rape him with his He's going to sodomize him with, with yeah, the nightstick. Yeah, that's... Uh, Perhaps a touch extreme. But how could that corpse go for a walk? Uh, yeah, he literally just says, Corpses that have been dead for 27 years do not get up and go for a walk by themselves. And then we cut to exactly that happening. It's the frozen body just kind of walking down the street. And we also see the Bradster, whose license plate on his car literally says, Bradster. <laughs> Would you ever hope to have like a, a, a Cooperman? Coopster? A Coopster play? <laughs> no. I think you should try to get the Coopster play. Oh my God. It's got to be owned yeah. by somebody. And yeah, if well, not, you just got to convince them to turn it in so that it can be. I don't, even, I don't even want to find out because if it is available, I'm probably going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do. The, the Bradster, he's dropping off his date, of course, that Cindy at the sorority house because, in his words, him and the boys have got some serious pledge humiliation tomorrow. Also at the sorority house is a girl who needs to store some brains in the basement for some kind of science experiment. I wonder if that's going to come into play later. Yeah, it seemed out of context when she said it. It just seemed sort of useless, but we will find out later that that helps move the plot along a little bit. Yeah, so we got a couple of teases here because there's one girl in the house who hears a sound at the door. And when she opens it up, we're assuming it's going to be the dead body. Nope, just a cat. So they kind of faked this out there. However, after some discreet nudity, there's another sound, and this time Cindy looks out the window and jump scare. It's the dead body. It pops up, it smiles, and then a bunch of slugs burst out of its head. Yeah. Is that the first kind of zombie look we've seen in this movie? Yeah, I mean, other than the the corpse like grabbing the scientist. We don't really see its face, though. Yeah, but even at that time, its face didn't seem zombie-ish, right? It was frozen before... It had turned there. He definitely has that zombie appearance, and then all of a sudden his head explodes, and all those snail-like creatures, which we assume 
are the things that came from the alien spaceship squirm around. Yeah, and the sound they make. Yeah, it's kind of gross. It sounds very creepy. Yeah. So the detective gets there, and he sees the body. It's the one from the lab, obviously. Uh, the head is burst open, and for some reason, this causes the detective to start flashing back to his younger days. Now, the next day, this is all in the papers, and the betas confront Chris and JC and tell them, That was not too cool, bros. <laughs> yeah, because they've been tasked with putting that cor- corpse down, they uh, they thought that JC and Chris were responsible for that, but uh, JC and Chris tell them, uh, we chickened out, man. Yeah, they, they thought that they just fucked it up and put it at like, the sorority house by accident. Brad's mad about this, and when they go to leave, he trips JC, and that is not cool, bros. So he's out of there, but on his way out, he asks Cindy, you coming, babe? And she flips him off and gets a standing ovation. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty nice. She did the old, like, crank up the middle finger <laughs> yeah, move. Slowly, yeah, yeah. this sort of slowly bring it up. And, I mean, by standing O, you, like, a couple of the women in the crowd appreciated that she told him to fuck off because he was being a D-bag. But, well, as we uh, talked about, the Bradster is, uh, yeah, is he's kind a of douche, a dick. A giant yeah. hot douche. He really is. So now, luckily, Chris finally gets to meet Cindy, except as soon as he does, the cops grab them. They've got some questions about those bodies. You see a janitor in the lab saw Chris and JC running out of there. And in the course of this interrogation, we get just like a huge meta joke from JC, meta joke slash foreshadowing, where he says, I'd rather have my brains invaded by space aliens than join a fraternity. (laughs) They're just putting it out there for us. Yeah, they're just throwing it on the table here. This is uh, a pretty horrible interrogation scene. We've got a lot of garbage sort of accusations from the cop and the cops. Some of the lines I was just rolling my eyes at super hard. Yeah. And then we have the repeated line from the janitor who saw them. Was it screaming like banshees? Yeah. He just keeps saying, they ran out screaming like banshees over and over again. And then you're just like, oh, it's so bad. He's tickled by it. Now, the detective, it seems like, might be kind of believing them. He's kind of staring out. We can't really read him just yet. Yeah. I think he senses that they're not the kind of kids who could, like, desecrate a corpse, I guess. I don't no, no you can tell that just by looking at them. These are not. These he, are. He doesn't. Yeah, he just senses that they're not the ones who sort of did this. Meanwhile, the lab victim, the scientist who discovered the body that was walking around, he gets up and he walks out of this building right past a police officer who, because the cop is like looking at a fucking chart or something, doesn't even look up and is just like, "I'll see you tomorrow." Like walks right past. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just gets up right out of the morgue, um, walks by an officer who just sees someone leaving and says, "See you tomorrow." And you're just like, "Really?" Yeah, that part was a little unbelievable, especially because he's like, his neck has basically been slit. He's like, blood's pouring out of his neck. Well, yeah, he's in mid. It looks like he's in mid autopsy. It even had like scissors or a tool attached to him that was coming off. And actually, I thought that makeup was kind of cool. But well, there you go. Yeah. He returns to the lab where, unfortunately, the janitor, who is still chuckling about them, screaming like banshees, ends up getting murdered. The janitor's dead now. After he screams like a banshee. Oh, irony. They make him have a giant banshee scream right when go. he sees it come. So they, they really uh, set that one up. We also see that a ton of these slugs are on the move. We see them constantly skittering around the ground, although they haven't really come into play too much just yet. The Bradster tries to patch things up with Cindy. He doesn't like that she has opinions. He says, that's what I get for going with the psych major. So it's just some real, um, some real misogynistic shit. when they're having the a browser. conversation on a payphone, which, yeah. is, which is pretty awesome. Uh, most people who listen to this probably know what a payphone is, but some may not have ever even experienced that, which is hilarious. It seems like the only phone in the whole sorority was a payphone. And actually, I love, this took me back to my childhood when Brad called the sorority house and one of the girls answered and he had to ask for Cindy and the girl had to yell, Cindy phone. I was yeah. like, oh my God. <laughs> Nobody it's like I'm nine years anymore. old again. Yeah, it never happens. No one shares a phone. It's never going to be a about? thing, man. What yeah, you, exactly. What are you talking about? Um, She doesn't go for it, obviously, him being a huge dick. So she hangs up and the scene ends with the missing cat from the sorority house coming back, except it's been zombified. The cat is like now like a weird kind of half dead. These effects were not great. Yeah, the, like, missing face, they were okay. Like, they were kind of believable in terms of, like, zombie, but they weren't excellent. I don't know. I didn't look good. The dog later on looks better. There's a dog later on. Yeah. Spoiler. Well, we're, talking, fuck. we're fucking full of spoilers. Come on. The detective gets another phone call, presumably about the janitor, I guess. Meanwhile, Cindy has now run right into the arms of Chris. 
They go for a walk, her, Chris, and JC, and she has some very valid questions about the two zombies that she has personally witnessed. JC's making jokes. Uh, Cindy gets a little upset, so Chris puts his arm around her, and this part was fucking great. He puts his arm around her. He's a little taller than her, so she can't see. Like He's out of her field of vision, and he's just fucking celebrating. I guess won the goddamn Super Bowl with like to, <laughs> to JC behind her back. She's pouring her heart out. She's like emotionally distraught, and he's so excited he's got the arm around her. That's yeah, hilarious, he's That's hilarious just, and wildly accurate. He's like fist pumping while she's in her sort of traumatic state because he's holding her and comforting her. Yeah, JC now sensing that maybe Chris is on the verge of a little something romantic here, excuses himself and goes to a washroom in one of the school buildings. Unfortunately for JC, that zombie janitor, the janitor's a zombie now because of the slugs, he is stalking the halls and... Chooses that bathroom. Yeah, this is where shit gets real bad for JC. He's sitting there just finishing up his business when uh, he hears the disgusting sound of slugs coming out of the head of someone. That really graphic, like, slurping sound. Yeah, he opens the stall door and sees it's the janitor. Now, I, I, I was thinking about this. What's worse, in your opinion? He opens the door and sees that all the slugs burst out of the janitor's head, or you're in there taking a shit and the janitor busts in, like zombie janitor. What's worse to you? Uh, probably in the immediate, the zombie janitor having that sort of looming over you, but knowing how fast and likely it was for those things to take over your body, I guess the slugs in the long term were the bigger threat. Well, and that's kind of what happens. He's got a matchbook. He tries to like light it on fire. I'm not really sure what he was going for there, but like he puts it down on the ground and one of the slugs who's skittering by touches the fire and like immediately dies. Yeah, well, as soon as he lights the fire to the matchbook, I was like, this guy needs to light up like a toilet paper oh, it's roll right there. or something. It's right, right beside him. Like he's got lots of material that he could be lighting up and creating a way to defend himself from these things, but he, he doesn't do that. One of the things that was like I had questions about were these sort of slug alien things like they were really fast. Yes. Like, I didn't, I was like, whoa, they would shoot from, like, the mouth or head of one person who was affected into another's mouth in, like, an instant. Yeah, then they lay eggs and they incubate, and then, you know, a skull bursts open, like, 12 more or 13 more come out. You're wondering the same thing I was wondering, which is, why does it take them multiple days to take over the sound? Yeah, like, this should have happened a lot faster. Oh, my God, so much faster. what was the rate that they were transmitting to different people? They lived through the cryogenic freezing as well. There's there's a whole bunch of questions about this. I guess uh, we can't go too deep into it, or we would get lost in the uh, the movie, huh? Again, I think if the screenwriters weren't worried about this, we shouldn't worry about it either. But <laughs> JC tries to get out of there, but he ends up basically crawling along the floor, just surrounded by these slugs, and that is not good. We don't know his fate, but we just assume things are. Well, we find that. it out pretty quickly. Cindy feels crazy about everything that she's seen or thinks she's seen. She invites Chris to a formal that is tomorrow night. And I love this. was a great exchange. I love this. He's like, yeah, but um, what about Brad? Brad's an asshole. I know that. Just like right away. <laughs> so dismissive. She nailed it. Oh, Brad yeah. deserved it. That guy's fucking garbage. Yeah. So tomorrow night it is. Chris goes to leave and the detective is right there. We cut to the detective and Chris having drinks and the detective tells him the story of the maniac. So it turns out that after he found the maniac, the detective ended up shooting him with a shotgun, wrapping him up in a bag, and burying him in a vacant lot behind the sorority house. But that lot is no longer vacant. It is now the cottage where the sorority house mother lives. They do a lot of these interesting out-of-nowhere conversations to move the plot along in this movie, right? They need an excuse to keep it going and to reveal like a part that they thought would be cool that's what's happening here that's got to be one of the worst parts of this movie straight exposition and right away we of course then cut to the house mother in her cottage she's sitting there watching tv and there's a banging sound like coming from beneath the cottage very poe like yeah and then all of a sudden the floorboard bursts up and it's the head of an axe and the whole time she just sits there watching it yeah she goes just mouth open doesn't try to move or run doesn't make a single sound. Must no. have been a non-speaking part. If they, if she had made a sound, they would have had to pay her extra. So they just, <laughs> they like, yeah, just I'm serious. Quietly. That's got to yeah. be what it is. Like, how did she not try to run away in any form? Not even a little bit. She just sits no. there. Oh, I wonder what that could be. It's something busting up the fucking floor of your house. Get the fuck out of there. Well, and then it's interesting because she gets taken down with an axe right through her face. Oh, right through her like, face. Like, it's pretty graphic. You see the sort of animation of the splash on the TV screen of the blood. Like, this is where I'm trying to logic out what's happening here. If the alien slugs are in control of the axe murderer guy, like they brought him back to life, 
Would they not try to avoid slicing through the skull or head of someone so that they could then use that? Okay, but here's the better question. They don't bust out of the frozen guy until 1986 because he's frozen. Why don't they bust out of this guy? Because he's been buried underground the whole uh, time. Okay. He isn't frozen at all. So my my interpretation of this one was they actually didn't enter him in the 50s. Oh, I see what you're I saying. I think they, they crawled like under the house oh, okay. and burrowed in like they knew he was there. Um, I think that they can sense like bodies around and then went for him. I think they almost resurrected him from the ground, which is why I wondered why they hadn't hit a cemetery per se. Yeah, this is this is so strange to me. The whole the whole thing, like whatever. The cops now are investigating, and two cops on patrol have found the maniac. He's just walking down the street. The cops close in. There's multiple gunshots, and finally, a shotgun blast from our detective drills the thing in the head the head explodes and a bunch of slugs come out what i liked about this scene was the smile that the corpse makes before he shoots him in the head there's like <laughs> oh, that yeah. little glimmer of recognition and the zombie corpse guy gives him a little smile and before he gets that shock into the head so that was kind of i like that clever sort of play there the slugs of course just crawl by all the cops they don't care at all yeah, and they don't like that. That's what I don't get. These slugs are constantly on people, and they just, they just choose not to infect them at that point. I don't, I don't understand. Get it. Yeah, that happens several times, right? And of yeah, course, it happens so many times when they're near our like protagonist, Cindy and Chris. Yeah. So the next day, it's the night of the big formal, and we get a getting ready montage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, uh, yeah. Which so, is basically on on the what are you gonna say? On the girl side, it's basically an excuse for gratuitous boobs. Yeah, it's a lot of women in different stages of dress showering and getting ready for this thing i what i will say i liked about it is the hilarious underwear and dresses and hair that comes out of this like yeah. the 80s hair and clothing oh god is it's just incredible phenomenal so i enjoyed that with the makeup as well of course the guys are getting ready similarly putting on those tuxes and just getting hammered drunk yeah well in the montage actually and speaking of the 80s hair with chris he's combing his like fucking helmet of hair he's got this giant 80s hair and he notices behind him in the mirror for the first time, a tape recorder picks it up, plays it. And this is the last words of JC. So JC infected by the slugs that he can feel them in his brain and he knows he's a goner, but he gives Chris the key to defeating them. Heat, heat will kill them. He says that he is going to crawl down to the furnace room so that like when they burst out of his skull, they will die from the heat of the furnace, which is exactly what happens. Chris runs down there to find them. And we see JC's body face down, a bunch of decaying slugs next to the furnace. So now they have the information they need to defeat the slugs. Yeah. So are pretty like meek and can't talk to people kind of guy is now got the knowledge and maybe the confidence to uh, take on saving the world. Well, he raced down into that furnace room. So clearly he's becoming like a little more courageous, becoming the hero that this movie's going to need to get rid of these fucking slugs. Yeah. What a noble so. move, though, by JC, eh? Yeah, like figuring it out, leaving that message, and then making sure he doesn't spread it to anyone else. Yeah, man, that is the noble thing. What a guy. JC's the real hero of this movie. Do you want to know? Wanna... <laughs> we I mean, that. we're not going to argue against that. He did everything he could to get his friend uh, Chris Love. He, like, sacrifices himself to Great provide man. knowledge. And... Great wingman yeah 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 this guy is a is a winner for sure he also has the like wittiest lines and also he's doing all of this overcoming a physical disability so for me it's interesting because i didn't like the fact that he was had those crutches through the movie like it didn't change my interpretation of his character in any way like i i think what you want when you're making movies and you have people um who are of different abilities or have different things that are like unique about them is you just have them have regular characters. Like, you don't make whatever that is about them a central part of their character. Oh, but he mentions it, though, when he says funny is a crutch. And then, I'll tell you the truth. He pokes it a little bit, yeah. The real reason, here's the truth. The real reason he's able is to make Brad seem like more of a dick. Because Brad trips him, and that's a so lot worse. It was just to make the other guy more evil in It's a way. to put heat on Brad. Yeah. 100%. That's what that is. Speaking of Brad, we cut to the Bradster, and he is taking it hard. This whole dissolution of his relationship with Cindy, the fact that he's not taking her to this formal, he's drinking, he calls Cindy a bitch, and then he sees one of these slugs, and when he bends down to look at it, I don't know about you, I was expecting slug jumps out of the bushes, they faked us out again. They were setting that up, but instead of that slug jumping out of the bush and getting him, uh, a dog comes up. Yeah, and the best part about this is the shot of the dog like walking up to him, 
it's a real dog. Looks totally normal. It's not until he turns his head towards the dog that now we've got the like zombified dog effect. Which yeah. <laughs> makes sense, right? It's a very fast transition from uh, regular dog to zombified dog. Well, the slug jumps out of his dog's mouth into Brad's mouth and it catches him by surprise. You can tell from the eyes. We get that like surprised, shocked look with the big eyes that we end up seeing later on in the movie also. Yeah, Bradster's fucked. He sure is. From there, we cut to the detective who is in the middle of trying to kill himself, I guess. Yeah, this is dark. It looks like he's trying to like sort of drown his sorrows. He's got some hard alcohol. He's sitting on the couch and we can kind of hear and we get later confirmation that he's got the gas on on his stove and i don't know if he's trying to like carbon monoxide poison yeah, he or... duct taped the seal around his door so yeah. no air can get out yeah so he's just trying to poison himself in there guess so the memories maybe got a little too much but there's a knock on the door and it's chris and he's got all the details about the slugs and how they work and what's happening and the detective grabs his shotgun and we're off but first they go to get a standard police issue flamethrower. <laughs> is that a thing? Um, that is interesting. I don't know whether the police force would have a flamethrower or not. It's definitely something you'd have in like most army or military places, or maybe even in a, like a military surplus, you might be able to find one. But I don't know why a police service would need flamethrowers. I don't know either. Uh, I think this may just be something for this movie to help. Again, yeah, so many things in this movie seem to just be here just to kind of move things along. From there, we see a party bus where all the frat boys are having a good time. But as they are driving, the driver sees in the middle of the road the dog, that zombie dog, not realizing it is a zombie dog whose brain is filled with alien slugs. The driver swerves to avoid it. <laughs> How dare crashes. you not know that? <laughs> I say it out loud. It sounds ridiculous. Yeah. He crashes the bus, and the bus is completely totaled. It flipped on its side. And we see a shot of the dog kind of like walking into the wreckage. So we know what's going to happen. The dog's bringing the slugs with it. Back at the sorority house, zombie Brad knocks on the door. And we know the frat boys are going to be right behind him. Yeah. So this is where they call Cindy because the girl opens the door and sees Brad there. Doesn't pay attention to his sort of zombified face or changes. Sorry to interrupt you, but she says... Very funny, Brad. Like, he's playing a joke. She thinks he's yeah. got some kind of, like, made-up whatever on. I don't know. That's fair. And so she calls Cindy. Cindy comes down. But she does not even look at Brad. She just takes him by the hand and kind of walks him out onto the porch, which, again, like, it's one of the, the cop walking by the dead body. Like, how are they not noticing this person? It's ridiculous. I mean, she's doing it in her, like, trying to be, bring him down gently. Like, she's trying to be sort of loving, and she takes him by the hand and sits him down. And it's not until what happens that uh, she notices he's a zombie. Oh, yeah, man. Slugs just start popping out of his mouth like a goddamn slot machine paying off. It's unbelievable. It's one after the other. And that's when Chris shows up and basically tells her, get the fuck away from him. And then she looks, realizes he's been zombified. She moves. Chris blasts him with the flamethrower and melts Brad's head. This was pretty fucking good, actually. I (laughs) like the way they set up how evil he was. And then had Chris, the new hero, come down and save, well, I don't, I'm not going to say his girl, but save Cynthia. Oh, if she's not his girl yet, she will be in about fucking 10 minutes. Yeah, the, the love connections in some of the movies we watch are pretty hilarious, how quickly those things God, can turn. Over and over again, it's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. I think they've known each other at this point for like literally 23 hours. Whatever. It's fine. So at this point, it's time for Chris and the detective to kind of clear the yard, as it were. Detective runs inside the house. Chris stays with Cindy. They notice all of the frat boys from the bus crash coming towards the house. And this is where the detective delivers just the line of this movie. It's the tagline, and they work it into the movie. He tells the sporty girls. I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, uh, great line. Actually, this sequence is my favorite in the entire movie. Oh, we get like the siege on the sorority house? Yeah, the siege on the sorority house, it now feels like a zombie movie. Cops got the inside kind of locked down trying to get all the girls together to get them to safety. Trying to. Yeah, which is not not easy. And then uh, we got Chris and we got Cynthia working together out on the front lawn to prevent them from getting in there. Yeah, and the cop, I mean, he almost bites it a couple of times. The zombies are just bursting through the doors and windows of this house, each one more gloriously mulleted than the last. (laughs) It's like a parade of 80s hair. Zombies is coming through here. I hear 80s hair is coming back. That's Oh, I believe it. Yeah. The detective is about to die, but he sees a picture of his high school sweetheart in like the sorority roster photo, and that gives him the strength to not only get his gun, 
but get back on his feet and do like a spinning series of headshots where he's just popping off zombies one at a time. Good camera work here. I, I don't know if they had it on something that could spin, but they really used the camera effectively to make it look like he was spinning around shooting all those zombies. Oh, God. Talk about a hero moment. It looks incredible. Meanwhile, Chris and Cindy are surrounded. The gun won't fire for some reason. They duck into a shed, and Chris ends up killing one of the zombies with a lawnmower. And just literally as if, <laughs> God damn, this 80s movie. He just tells him as he went to kill him, this big action hero line, later, dude. <laughs> I wrote it down, too. That was pretty bad, but good in the same way. He just yells at... Like, the zombies kind of got Cindy or Cynthia in a bad place, and he yells at her to get out of the way. And she manages it so that he can run it over with the lawnmower. The two of them working together pretty well to take down these zombies. Luckily, they're not getting attacked by the alien slugs, really. No, those slugs are pouring into the basement of the sorority house. Chris asks Cindy, what's in there? It's the brains. They're going to the brains for some reason. Oh, yeah. Well, we know that they go into human heads to, to lay eggs. Lay eggs. Yeah. So if we already have a place where there's a whole bunch of human brains, it makes sense for them to go there to start their sort of colony or whatever. Yeah, it's a breeding ground pretty much. So Chris and Cindy tr decide they're going to go deal with that brain sitch, right? They do. And on their way down to the basement, we see there is lots of flammable materials, which would be great news because you're going to have to incinerate whatever's happening down there. Also down in the basement... The detective who has duct taped his mouth closed so slugs can't get in, which is a smart move. Genius. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't know why others hadn't sort of come up with this idea yet, but that made sense. Yeah, he's also got a big can of gasoline, and he tells them to get the fuck out of the basement. Not literally, but like he essentially tells them that. I'm pretty sure he said that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, oh, maybe, yeah, he yeah, might have know. actually said that. Yeah, he was telling them to leave. And he starts a countdown. Yeah, well, we also see, before that happens, a huge swarm of oh. these slugs. It is a pile in the corner of the basement, presumably the corner that's full of brains, and it's just this like kind of claymation, uh, <laughs> like crawling. The on claymation each other. is hilarious. There was a little bit of it before this in the movie, but not a ton. But it is clearly a pile of clay that they're making move. And then they even go to another claymation shot later. Um, before they run out of the basement, there's this kind of knowing glance between Chris and the detective. A little nod, maybe a smile. Yeah. And as the detective's counting down, Chris and Cindy running out. Chris is counting down as well. They get out of the house safely, and right as the countdown gets to zero, Chris, appropriating the detective's catchphrase, yeah. says, Detective, thrill me. Boom! Yeah, and then we get that huge house fire. That was a kind of a moment. I think uh, Detective was, because he wasn't able to fulfill his dreams with his sweetheart, was taking some solace in that he was making that happen for Chris and Cindy, right? Exactly. And that's why he's the real hero of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we had JT, we have Chris, we have our detective. Yeah. Which it's a real one? hero fest. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of heroes. What about Cindy? I mean, she did give Brad the middle finger, and she got the standing ovation, so yeah, in that way she's a hero. Hell, yeah, she, she took on this sweet, like, sensitive guy who couldn't even speak for himself and turned him into a hero. Oh, you're giving Cindy, you're giving Cindy credit for yeah. that? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I don't agree that at all. Uh, <laughs> I loved how right before the explosion happens, we get that shot of like 15 slugs just leaping towards the detective right as he hits the cigarette lighter, which ignites the gas and blows everything up. That was really cool. And at this point, it's basically it. Like there's a crowd now outside because of the explosion, because of the gunshots, because of the fire. We've got cops showing up. There's a fire truck. Yeah, Cindy and Chris sort of take that moment right after the explosion and all these people have come around them to embrace. They grab each other and we sort get the of big kiss. We get the kiss, we get the head on the shoulder, like we did it. We're, yeah. we're through it. But then a dog brushes up against Cindy's leg. And she goes down, of she course, goes to investigate. the dog. And... and it's the zombie dog, which, how is that thing still alive? Everything else, the slug leaves, and the thing is head explodes over. The dog has now infected, like, four different people. It infected a whole bus. Like, right, that, dog, yeah. that dog should be out of fucking alien slugs, for but sure. But it's not. And well, this no. is how we end yeah. it, with a great little ending. Her looking at the dog, the dog, and the last shot we get is a slug flying towards the camera as though we are Cindy about to get slugged. Boom, credits. Now, we had seen others grab a slug out of the air. The policeman did it before. Maybe Cindy can get her mouth closed. We're not sure. But it's definitely leaving it open for you. Did Cindy survive? Are they happy? Are the slugs Doesn't gone? Doesn't seem like it. This is meant to set up a sequel, I bet. 
sequel didn't happen. This movie bombed. It was years ago. <laughs> did it? Yeah, did I don't not, know. Did not do well. No, no, it didn't. Was it like in terms of other movies around the time? Was it supposed to be like a big movie or like? I mean, the thing about this is this falls in that kind of genre of like '80s horror where it's a low budget thing to begin with. You're just, you know, you're hoping that your small investment becomes a giant payout, right? Yeah. So it did not happen for this movie. There was probably other movies of similar cost and size that ended up making a bunch of oh, money. And it definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, like, we'll get into our rating. I guess we can actually get into it right now because yeah. that's the end of the movie. So usual system. If you're just tuning in for the first time, we rate the movie on a scale of one to 10, not once, but twice. One to 10 for how bad the movie is. And then we also rate it 1 to 10 for how enjoyable the movie is. And the goal, as always, is to find a movie that is 10 out of 10 bad, 10 out of 10 enjoyable, or as we call it, the Crit 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 20. And so when I'm thinking about this movie, like, it's one thing if you want to sacrifice plot and stuff, like, for action. But not a lot happens in this in terms of kind of, like, action, scary set pieces until the end. Yeah, I, I even described it as almost like a character study at a point, right? They, <laughs> yeah, they were spending yeah. so much time with the people and weren't moving along what was happening with the aliens or the zombies or whatever you want to describe it. Yeah, so for that reason, my rating for how bad this movie is, I have it as a nine. First of all, the dialogue. I don't. You mentioned that you liked some of the dialogue. There for some me, funny pieces, I don't know, yeah. man. I, other than the line about your dates being here and they're dead, a lot of this was very cringy for me. <laughs> it is definitely cringy. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's, yeah. So the dialogue is rough. The acting is pretty terrible. I mean, Tom Atkins is a pro. Always has been. Always will be. But like some of those <laughs> kids, man. Like I'm not convinced that JC and Chris and you know have I ever acted before. Oh no, man, they're not great. And yeah, I just kind of wish like it felt like there were some, if not plot holes, at least inconsistencies or things they just never addressed. And for me, that was kind of a problem. Also, if I'm being totally honest, the effects are pretty cheesy. And what the fuck was up with those aliens? Those, those aliens are ridiculous. <laughs> the baby aliens. Yeah. Even just their presence. Yeah. Why couldn't this just have been a movie about zombies? Why did it have to be like alien slugs? I don't know, man. It's weird shit. I'm giving it a nine for how bad it is. What do you think? It's a 10 bad. Oh my! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You. I don't even think I need to like build upon more than what you said. It, the it starts with baby aliens, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it shoots shits down, goes to a black and white fifties scene. Yep. With an axe murdering, right, and a slug catching into an unexplained freezing of the guy who has slugs, <laughs> who then infects pervs from the eighties. No, there are no eighties <laughs> pervs. No, that's incorrect. There are no eighties yeah. pervs. And. Then we have like all kinds of exposition that leads you to other points that's like completely unnecessary. Um, I don't even think I need to explain anymore. It is a 10 bad Fair enough. movie. So what you are saying is that we have a chance today of getting our second ever Crit, Crit 20. 20. 20. 20. 20. 20. <laughs> Love that thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's in play. Yes. Okay, well, do you want to tell me how enjoyable it is, or do you want to build suspense? Should I go first, and you can come in at the end? All right, how about you go first? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, well, let's just let it, oh, yeah, well, let's build the suspense. We're mixing yeah. it up. Yeah. All right. Um, so for how enjoyable this is, I have it as an eight. I do enjoy this movie. Here's the thing. I don't mind like cheesy 80s dialogue is right in my wheelhouse. So I'm saying, <laughs> were you complaining about it in your good bad? No, I'm just saying like it, it is bad in the sense that like so many people don't enjoy that. Yes. Like if you're not predisposed that way you're going to be like oh my god there's a lot of eye rollers a lot of groaners yeah definitely um i enjoy it i don't mind cheesy uh effects they add to my enjoyment i'll laugh at a cheesy effect i'll laugh at that it's cool my main problem with it is there's long stretches where kind of nothing's going on and like the, the scene at the end if the whole movie was like the scene at the end i'd be giving it a 10 out of 10 absolutely because that scene is great the whole sequence the siege in the sorority house very enjoyable yeah the problem was the build right that's what it was it, there's yeah. a lot of and you even mentioned at one point while we were watching it you're like i feel like nothing's happened in this movie and i'm like the movie's almost over like we were over an hour at that point this thing is like 88 minutes long just sneaks in there just got in there how much did yeah. you see any padding was there padding in this bad boy i mean everything I, that the had first to do with thing the that popped in my head is <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah. yeah the first thing that popped in my head was the scene where they're drinking the detective telling him the whole story about his high school sweetheart but i'm like that does provide at least some exposition or if you didn't catch because of the dream sequence that he was the cop in the first thing i don't know bottom line is i enjoyed it 
I wish the pacing was a little different. I wish there had been kind of some more of those action set pieces. I wish it had been a little bit more scary. But overall, it's an 80s horror movie. You know, it's full of 80s stuff. And I'm always going to enjoy that. It's an 8 for me. So, moment of truth. What do you have it as? It's not happening. Oh, I'm backing <laughs> away from the echo button. Okay. I'm sorry. I saw you were ready for it, but uh, it's not getting a 10 for an enjoyable for me. All right. How enjoyable? I think I'm going with a 7. Okay. It's what feels right. Um... I, like you, enjoy some bad 80s puns. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, it did feel like something that I would have been involved in writing as a younger man. <laughs> you said a couple times. Yeah, like yeah. this is something where I could see some of the humor in it. I really was confused by the mix of sci-fi and horror. Maybe they're trying to look for another way to sort of start the zombie side of it. But you're right. The last 20 minutes of the movie are by far the best. Definitely. Right? Like, if it was more of that, even if it was half and half. Like, this feels like a really bad Evil Dead. That's not necessarily a zombie movie. But the in terms of, like, the way that they balance out the action and the things that are happening in it and the story you're connecting with people, I definitely prefer that more movement and action-focused kind of sort of centric movie like that so i'm gonna say for me it's a seven enjoyable i mean overall a couple of nice scores there though yeah, 17 not bad or scores, 17 uh, yeah not bad if you're a fan of 80s cheese night of the creeps it's oh, uh yeah definitely watch yeah it. it's schlocky and enjoyable um speaking of enjoyable how about the beer <laughs> the thrillsner from grain and grit i love it i've had it before it's delicious it's it's a it's a pretty standard pilsner but that's exactly like what i'm looking for it's just like you know clean crisp very drinkable not too hoppy, even though it is a dry hop pilsner. Yeah, I, I'm glad they dry hop it just to add a little bit more flavor. I find that most pilsners are kind of malt heavy for me. And that's what that's my stance. I know, my, and you love wheelhouse. it. That's where, that's like where our difference is. You love the malt heavy. I'm more of a, a hop bomb in my mouth kind of fella. So okay. um, I, I like the Thrillsner. It's it's a beer that I, it wasn't, re- it was refreshing and I definitely enjoy drinking it. So uh, if you like pilsners or want to try, some beer from Grand and Grit. Thrillsner is definitely a good one. Yeah, and again, that's Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You're going to have a delicious double dry hopped IPA next week. When we watch one of the just historic bombs of this, the 21st century, we're watching Catwoman next week. <laughs> Halle Berry? That's correct. Oscar winner Halle Berry. <laughs> I have never seen it, so this will be fun. Until then, uh, if you have not already, you can follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at the BNB Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to send us any recommendations, uh, we have an email at the BNB Podcast at gmail.com so that's either beer or movie suggestions and as always you can slide into our dms if you don't want to send us an email if you want to call us on a payphone, uh, our phone number. <laughs> there you go. 80 style. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. So that's it for this week. We will see you next week for Catwoman. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. We'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it creepy. That's such a layout. That's so easy. <laughs> the good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead.